Hi everybody, I'm Jason Davis of the Nerd Brand Podcast, the branding and marketing from a nerd's point of view, where we talk about, well, branding and marketing. So we do this on Anchor.fm. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello? You know, I've got a clock that's loud as it can be in the background. Just tick, 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 you know? And it just kind of reminds me and makes me feel like my life is just slipping away. Friday, everybody. This is the Nerd Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Davis. I'm here with Mitch Gregory, Jonathan Payne. And uh, that's about it for today because, you know, that's uh, all this channel can handle uh, is like three because last time we did four and the audio just kind of was like, no, I can't process. And so that was a it was an issue. So three at a time is all that's allowed on this ride. You must be at least of height of five foot four. Um, so, uh, how you doing, guys? I'm doing great. Fantastic. <laughs> That's that over- just, Jason. What if they're short people? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm five seven on a good day. Uh, Gravitationally challenged. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Mitch. Mitch is always there, and he's ready for the PC and branding stuff. That way, he's like, you know, no, 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 don't say that. Say this. <laughs> always on point. <laughs> Well, this episode of the Nerd Brand Podcast, we're talking about Google Web Vitals, retargeting your ads, and we're going to talk about director's cut marketing or something or other. It, it's going to be nuts anyway, so we hope you enjoy the podcast, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, let's kind of get into it. Google Web Vitals. What is this? What happened? Where's Waldo? Um, so, okay. So, Google's using a, Google has used for years ranking signals to deliver web pages, the the relevance on the rank. So if you want a higher ranking, you probably should pay attention to these signals. The issue is there's over 200 of them. So it's really hard to kind of like narrow down, like which one should I pay attention to? Um, we are working on um, helping people like figure that out by building up uh, content on our site. And we will be sharing that in the coming weeks uh, because this uh, algorithm change has definitely rocked the boat. And I'm pretty sure it's not over yet because in May they kind of had a boo-boo in May when they released it. And it's probably going to get revised in June and we'll see a new rollout in July. And we'll be just talking about this forever now. For, um, for, the, for the layman out there, which I to some degree include myself in that, mm-hmm. in that grouping, explain what a, what, one of the, what a signal is. Sure. So um, a ranking signal is something that is going to be um, implemented on your website. So let's say, for example, you have a uh, the most common one that people talk about is social media. Um, it's not necessarily having a Facebook page and putting out posts that link back to your site. Believe it or not, it's actually having a LinkedIn business page. It's kind of weird that that is an actual signal to have a LinkedIn business page to Google that you are actually – for real, that you're not just another spammer with a link on the search engine trying to duplicate somebody else's content. Um, so 
you know, when you write content, if it's quality content, if you Google anything, you'll notice Huffington Post doesn't show up a whole lot because Huffington Post is pretty much known for reblogging um, other news sites' content. So, you know, these are that's an example of a good signal. Huffington Post, bad. So there, there are practices that you do. There's things that you do on your website and off your website that lead to a higher rank in the search engine, if that helps make sense. Is uh, user engagement a ranking signal to Google? Yes. Uh, Click-through rate. You'll hear CTR by marketers like Jonathan a lot. And, uh, you know, the more that it's clicked, a link is clicked on, the higher it is that it will likely appear in the search rankings. It, that's something that takes time. Um, another factor that dwell is called dwell time. That's when somebody goes to a blog article and is reading it. And they're really, really reading it. And I don't mean like skimming it. They're reading it. Google knows that. And it uses that as a factor in ranking as well. Wow, Google is so smart. <laughs> well, it's not just an algorithm. People like to talk about algorithm. I got, I got news for everybody. We are in the age of Black Mirror right now. It's a artificial intelligence. It's a type of artificial intelligence in a way. Because it's learning behavior. It's learning interests. Um, Google is going to move away from the cookie. A cookie is a thing that is on every website that is used by ads to track you going to other websites to kind of really dumb that down and explain that. And that's kind of what is used, and we'll kind of get into that, I'm sure, when we get to the retargeting piece of the podcast. But um, that's going to go away, and it's going to go for browser ID and device ID. And uh, so every device, whether if it's a laptop or if it's a cell phone, we've talked before about how they all have what's called a MAC address. And that MAC address is sent to a cell tower, and that cell tower is constantly monitoring that device. And the two are talking to each other and sending data, particularly to the GPS, so they know where you're at. Again, we're in the age of Black Mirror. So Google knows location-wise. No matter if you Google something, you're like, I don't know why I don't rank number one. Well, you know, some of that is because of location. Some of that is because of, you know, a, a bad website. The Google search engine is an extension of your website. So if you have a bad website, Google's just doing its job. It's just looking at what it has available online about you in all of these different areas and arenas, and it's displaying that on the search engine page. If all of those are not in line, and they're not working correctly or optimized correctly, mm -hmm. well, then you're going to appear to look on the search result page when people Google either you or a related service you provide. You're going to look like a spammer. You're going to look really, really bad. And so it's a bad optic uh, and PR problem at that point, which is why as a branding agency, we focus on the branding first because it all starts with that. It all starts with how you look and your message because that's what people respond to when they search. They see something, something catches their eye. you got to have a hook to make them look so that they'll take the information away. And Google's very good at understanding that practice and wants people to do that. And Google Web Vitals is all about cleaning up your crap. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And I think for, you know, for the, the average business owner, I think this stuff is overwhelming and it's complex and you know you talk about 200 ranking signals that we know of or or that you know people can kind of track nobody nobody except the core google algorithm team the core google search team knows what's actually happening um you know we're all kind of taking a, a third person perspective on what we're seeing in search results running experiments uh just monitoring you know websites across certain industries and things like that and making a hypothesis on what matters 
Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, that's not to say it's uncertain or, or that we're not confident in what matters, but it is still, at the end of the day, somewhat of a, an educated guess. Um, yeah. Well, look at, a, look at a Google search snippet. When you go onto the search engine and you look for something, you see a search snippet. You see a title, a link, and a description. Um, Mitch, what's one of your favorite axioms? Uh, everything's an ad. Exactly. So that snippet is an ad on the search engine. And Mitch can go, go and Mitch, yeah, and Mitch can go for hours and tell you, Mitch, how important is it for ad copy to be good? Uh, it, well, why have it if it's not? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So you got 10, you got 10 there's more than 10 results on that page because you have 10 organic results. You have Google search engine features, which we'll get into in blog posts and stuff on our website later. Uh, maybe you may have a podcast about that, but um, then you have the ads at the top and the bottom and maps and those and all, yeah, yeah. local stuff. Right. There is a lot going on on that search engine result page. So if your snippet doesn't read well, there's a problem. You're going to get lost in the fray. Mm-hmm. It's not just about ranking number one. It's about standing out. Well, and it's also, you know, I, I think a lot of people, again, kind of the typical business owner who isn't knee-deep in this stuff, thinks about Google as like a, a monolith. Like, I've got to get number one on Google. But it's every single competitive set for every single different search query. It's a completely different ballgame. So if you're trying to rank for, for A, it's going to take a different strategy than ranking for B based on the number of people who are you know, competing for that key term, uh, the number of ads that are, you know, being ran for that key term. And so it, it, you got to kind of keep it in perspective that you're not just trying to get to number one on Google. That's, that's, you know, about 10% of the, the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not just how well written it is. It's how fast does the site load with it? Um, there's a lot of emphasis on site load. Site's got to be fast. It's got to load fast. There's more to speed than just the page loading up because, honestly, websites are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're becoming ginormous in themselves because of the fact of all the tools that marketers have to use in order to measure behavior themselves. You know, they don't have the resources Google has, so optimizing a website, which makes websites more expensive, the more you dive down into that because you're compressing that code, you're making more quality code. Writing quality code is very time-consuming, um, so therefore it does equate to a more expensive but a higher quality website to return on your investment later. I say all that because the one thing that doesn't get looked at is site structure of your content. Some say content architecture, some say site mapping, but it's your, your organization of your website's content is very, very important. We just recently reviewed a site that does a very simple service that's a brick and mortar and has 65 pages. They do four things. So you don't need 65 pages to explain four things. Who has the time? Um, exactly. Nobody's going to click through all that stuff. Nobody's going to go and read all that stuff. You've got, uh, sometimes there are instances where just a really good homepage is enough. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so the point is I got stuff to do. So if I'm going to Google for something, I need to find it. I want to find it fast. I want to make sure that it's about, I looked through so many articles this week, um, doing research on a topic, looking for an answer on how to blank. And uh, I got before to the point of 
the answer of my question, I got exposition and exposition of content about background, about the thing I was looking about or looking for. So I get that the blog post was trying to um, expand its content to rank well for the search that I clicked on. But the problem was that um, I learned a really good term today that it was upside down, the content. Hmm. What I was looking for was at the bottom of the page. So all that linking and all the terms and everything, that blog post, number one, would do much better in the ranking if it was moved to the top, since that's my main query. Mm -hmm. Second, I, I may not need to know the background about why. So if I'm a baker, I probably understand how to make a cake. So if I'm looking for a recipe, put it at the top. The background on why flour exists is probably not interesting <laughs> to me. Well, so you've got to think about it. Well, <laughs> Jonathan, you and I were talking about this in a meeting today. And a, a, web, a good website needs to do, a business website primarily needs to do, demonstrate three things. Competence, credibility, and interactivity. It, 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 you concentrate on those three things. How smart are you about what you do? How knowledgeable are you about what you do? Can you, have, can you back that up with enough information to make me feel good about you? And do you make it easy for me to interact with your brand? If you do those three things, you've won the battle. And that doesn't necessarily require voluminous pages on a website. And it also doesn't, you know, uh, again, I think people get overwhelmed by trying to figure out all these different ranking signals. At the end of the day, Google wants to deliver the correct information, the relevant information for that given search query to the user searching as quickly as possible and as, as clearly as they can. So the websites that you see at the top of search results for any given search term are the ones that Google feels do that most effectively. That when somebody clicks through to that to that search result and to that website, they're getting what was promised first and foremost from the you know the relevance of the page matches the what was in the search results, but also that the information is easily accessible. That it's you know it, it loads fast. That it's a good experience. Um, so for a you know, for a business owner who doesn't want to get mired in the, the details and the, the stuff that we like, at the end of the day, just think about does your website for the four or five key terms that you really, really need to, to move people on, does your website accurately, relevantly, and quickly display that information? And if it doesn't, you're not going to rank well uh, in, in the simplest form. Now, there's obviously complexities, but... To me, that's that's always been helpful for me to kind of pull pull a site apart and pull content apart. Yeah, yeah, and and you know how a website or a web, you know, just referring to just a web page that's on your site, you know, the links that are on there. You know, if you have uh, external links or internal links, internal links go to other pages in your site. Those need to connect dots and not be. Um, if you write a blog post on cakes, don't link to. Um, how to walk your dog, you know, that's right. not a, you, you, your site may be about baking cakes and walking dogs and that's fine. But those two articles, those two categories of posts are not related to one another unless you have a dog that likes to eat cake. I just don't see that as I, and if I feel that way, I'm pretty sure the guys that are really, really smart at Google understand that too. And they don't want to see that either because again, your users there about that thing, keep mm -hmm. it simple. One topic, one point. Do that, and that's how you win. Right. So, interlinking is very important, and it shows Google. You know, Google will put site links out. Um, right. I think to that point, you know, 
content silos. Uh, and when you get into content architecture, you know, businesses do different things sometimes. They may be, you know, trying to reach a different audience for a different service. And it may be, you know, that, that the services are not even related to one another. But you can you can accomplish that with, you know, proper content architecture, setting up proper pillars and content silos to stay relevant for whatever search terms are, you know, meaningful for that particular service line. Right. But it takes some thought. Yeah. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of time. I mean, without being on a platform, I believe like WordPress, you're going to look at the process becoming excruciatingly more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, WordPress is built for, for SEO. And there's probably people out there who's going to listen to this going, Oh, what a crock. <laughs> Actually, you can go back to, I mean, you know, it happened. I mean, there, it, WordPress gets a lot of heat from other devs, and I got to disagree respectfully that, you know, in the last, uh, since, well, since 2003, um, you're wrong. <laughs> so, um, that's you know, 20 and, years of being wrong, people. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. When you got, when you have something that occupies over 35% of the internet and has a 60 something percent market share, um, it's kind of like saying Chevy Corvette is awful. <laughs> well, the people that buy it seem to disagree. Um, you know, and the thing to, to add, you don't see like Chevette, Corvette, like there's obviously a difference in the quality. So be careful of that. But when's the last time anybody on this podcast has saw a Chevy Corvette commercial versus, I don't know, Silverado. I mean, there's a reason why certain things. Yeah, exactly. So all the Squarespace and Wix and all that, they keep advertising. You rarely, if never see a WordPress commercial. I've seen maybe two in my life. I'm not joking because they they know they're the king of the heap right now. Um, and when you're the big guy on the block, you get attacked. You're the first one. That's why Target loves being number two because Walmart takes all the heat, mm-hmm. but you know, and they, they, they don't care. Um, that's kind of the way they are. They're like, well, our business model is a little bit different. Target's competitor is Amazon anyways, not really Walmart. So they're okay with it. So WordPress is kind of sitting in this position where it's like, eh, you know, we got what we got. We're doing good. We got about 700 contributors that help, you know, keep this thing going. We got, they literally have billions of dollars behind their name and brand. I mean, they're not, it's not going anywhere. So it's not like you're getting this free product that anybody can just tinker with. That's really not how the perception, it, it's unfortunate the perception is that, but that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Having said all that, you can go back to WordCamp, uh, any WordCamp, which is a conference for WordPress. It's for users and developers and all that. And, uh, you know, they happen in every city. Matt Cutts used to be the head of Google Spam Protection Unit at Google. And, um, you know, he years ago was at a WordCamp and made the statement that, you know, WordPress solves about 80% of the mechanics of SEO. And then he backed that up by saying the mechanics of SEO, not SEO problems, because a lot of SEO problems go to what we're talking about, content. And it's all coming back to content. And Google Web Vitals is now really hammering websites on how well written it is, how fast does it load, how easy is it searched, and how well is it linked to and from. And that's going to be where the majority of if you engage somebody with SEO works. Now, what does that look like? How does that prove the ROI on your SEO budget? You know, because a lot of people are like, ugh, SEO, it's a voodoo thing, it's a myth, it doesn't do that. Google yourself, please. Google yourself. Look at how you look. You know, if Yelp and Facebook outrank your website, there's a problem. <laughs> right. and, that's prob- and also Google Google your key terms. You know, Google the, the three keywords that you think are going to convert the types of customers that you want. And if you're not there, one, that's a, obviously a giant problem. But two, 
look at the people who are there and look at what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. So please, 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 if you're listening to this and you're in this boat, please contact us. We really, really want to help because we see this kind of stuff and it just breaks our hearts because we look at it and we're like, ah, this is something that is low-hanging fruit to fix before you start wasting thousands of dollars on Google ad spend and marketing. Well, that's the... Well, and dealing with these issues sooner rather than later, it's it's like with 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 a human being and and medic and their 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 health condition. Yeah, you you it's so much easier to fix these problems early, and rather than waiting down the road when you know the issues kind of snowball and and create even bigger problems, and it makes it a much more uh, much more difficult and dare I say expensive problem to solve. Yeah, yeah. Don't make don't make Richard Simmons come cry for you because it should never happen. It should never get that bad. Um, <laughs> to the to the why of why this is why this is really important. Obviously, it's you know it's nice to rank first in Google, but then you get to the question of well, what does that really do for my business? I mean, it's good. It's it's without a doubt good. But I mean, just to put it in perspective, the one of the highest converting channels that you'll ever see on any website is going to be organic search. I mean, through and through, those are people who are, they have intent. They're out there either looking for the information that, you know, is relevant to your product or service or they're ready to buy. And so, and they're doing, you know, product comparisons and and they're at the decision phase. So, I mean, especially from a, from an e-commerce standpoint where you can really boil down the dollar, you know, the dollar in, dollar out. I mean, in my experience, the conversion rate for say social media is, you know, 1%, 2%, 1%, 2%, the conversion rate for organic search is, you know, 8 to 10, 8 to 12%. Uh, you, you can do the math at that point and, and see that organic search is going to be, you know, probably your number one or number two revenue generator for for e-commerce, definitely for most companies, probably. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that. So it's, a, it's not something that's voodoo and it's not something that you should ignore. You can't. The word you're looking. The word you're looking for is yeah. quantifiable. Right, right. And, and it's interesting, Jonathan. I think, and the both of you have kind of have spoken to this. Whether it's you know whether it's uh, organic search, whether it's you know any of that, it's no one specific thing that creates a magic bullet. Mm-hmm. There's a mix of issues that you address, and there's a hierarchy of those issues you address to to optimize your 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 reach yeah 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 and when it comes to seo i mean a lot of people judge hiring an seo company based on how well they rank on the search engine look it's a very competitive environment for seo companies to try to rank well on the search engine it's not necessarily a factor that i would use to say whether or not if i was going to hire someone um look at the case studies do they have any do they work you know how do they work i mean you know it's it, it, it's it's just like looking for a marketing company or branding agency. I mean, are you going to be a good fit? You know, what is the intentions? What's their track records, of course? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you, you can't look at the search engine and go, well, I didn't find them on that search. You know, there's there's a way you search, and then there's a way thousands of other people search, and they're all different. Right. And the results and are so, different. They're localized. They're based on your past engagement. They're based on what Google thinks you, in particular, you know what you want to see um yeah so yeah you're probably not going to see a company from louisville for seo if you're if you just go in and type you know search engine optimization companies near me you're not going to see a company in louisville but that company in louisville might be the best one for you uh, 
So, it, it, yeah, you know, I know we've run into that a couple times with with people kind of you know basing their their purchase decision or or decision to work with us on the fact of how we rank in Google and you know we're busy helping clients so yeah we may not rank perfectly for for what we want to but um that doesn't necessarily mean that that we're not doing the job for, right. for there, other folks there, there's a there's a, ba- right. there's a well, balance you know well if i search for search engine optimization um and i start with the the, the next letter l you know google does predictive search mm-hmm. right we've all seen it you know um i think it's vanity fair somebody they take celebrities and they do this really funny segment where they hold up a board and they do a Google search like, does Chris Pratt blank? Is Chris Pratt blank? Uh, Chris Pratt blank? You know, on and on and on. Is Chris Pratt, you know, and they reveal it and it said dead, you know, and it's just hilarious because so these are queries that actually are occurring. So predictively, you can kind of type that in and get an idea of what's happening. So if I type in search engine optimization and I just hit the letter L after the space, I get learning, LinkedIn, legal issues, Los Angeles coalition, something that I cannot I don't know, but it's not it's not English. Nothing about Louisville. If I do O U L O U, I get I don't get Louisville. I get search engine optimization St. Louis, and then I get search engine optimization Lou L O U, and it's got a Yahoo search. So Google's like nobody's looking for that, right? <laughs> so you know you have to have you know look at what's happening when you're using when you're using the search engine. You're actually interacting, like I said, with an AI. So, again, we're in the age of Black Mirror. It knows, and it's going to learn. The more you keep looking for that thing, it's going to think, oh, you must really want that. I really need to provide results and bring them up in the rank for you. Right, and if you've clicked a certain search result, say, you you know, you did search for search engine optimization Louisville, and you you click through to a company's website, and you browse their website a little bit, you go back to Google and search that again, Google's probably going to serve that to you again. And it's probably, you know, it may be higher in the rankings because you've engaged that website. You didn't bounce off of it. You you showed yeah. some sort of interest. So in Google's, you know, in the AI's mind, that may be relevant to you. So they're going to serve it to you again and track your behavior again and and see, you know, confirm whether or not you're interested in that. Right. Yeah. And the other pieces they have, they have image search and they have YouTube. Don't ignore them. Right. They're watching, you know, <laughs> they are watching you. They're watching what you watch. They're watching what you browse through on images. Well, they've got, you. they're watching. Yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah they've got, they've you. got audience uh, they've categories. Had, and, you know, when you yeah. go through Google ads, they've, they've put people into certain affinity groups and, and interest based groups based on the other content you've engaged around the web. Yeah. Speaking of ads, why don't you tell us a little bit about retargeting and what is it and how you do it? Yep. Uh, so retargeting is a, I mean, the, the simplest way to describe it is, somebody comes to your website they browse around or they may just hit the home page and then they leave um, as they're navigating around the web say they go to espn.com or some news site or a blog site they will see ads you know relevant to your business that you've placed um, and so you know that's that's accomplished through placing a, a retargeting pixel on your website um, and so Google has their own retargeting pixel. Uh, Facebook has their own retargeting pixel. Sites like Quora or any other kind of display ad network has has that retargeting pixel. Uh, and Jason, you can probably talk a little bit about the the importance of installing that retargeting pixel properly, uh, and especially <laughs> in, in light of what we just talked about with website speed <laughs> and, and core vitals. 
Yeah, it kind of it's 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 unavoidable to get techy in this speak because uh, you're dealing with code, and that's what this is. And so a snippet. When we say snippet on Google search, it's not a snippet as in code. It's a same word used differently. It's like there, there, and there, um, and then you know. And so uh, when you say snippet here in this um, instance, script is a language that um, just basically does actions on a site. Uh, so script is what these pixels are. It's JavaScript. And they are loaded from the bottom of the page's code up first. So the more of them you have, the longer it's going to take for that page to load for users. So if you have a Facebook pixel, a HubSpot pixel, a Google pixel, you know, after a while you start adding them up and you're like, oh, there's seven things that are loading up. And then you're like, I don't know why the web page is slow. Well, you know, it's because that image is the last on the list to get loaded. <laughs> so, um, you know, Loading them on specific pages is very crucial. And in WordPress, um, it can be done. I have done it. I, I've done it just with simple, con what I call conditional statements. So I go into the custom theme and then I say, this page load this, this page loads that, this category of these like posts, for example, versus pages, because they're two different, what's called taxonomies, which is groups of content. Um, gets this and this one does not. And I'm basically doing the work of saying this over here because we don't need HubSpot tracking ABCD, but over here XYZ needs, you know, Google Analytics. It needs this, it needs this, it needs it. So that allows us to kind of you to optimize your site and meet Google Core Vitals because it looks at that and it's called render blocking. Um, and so it says, well, I can't render the page because there's this object, which is a script blocking it. So we uh, actually have a strategy in place when we do websites. It's more than just a pretty design. It's, okay, we're going to build this site with the thought that in a year, as you begin to get traction, you're going to want to know what's going on. Or if you're engaged with us already on a retainer, you're already there. And we're going to build it that way so that we all know what's going on and can all see and make the right decisions and optimize your budget as well as your site. Right, right. And to emphasize, you know, the the high level thing is that that you want your website to load quickly, and you want Google to be able to to crawl it and and get to the information that they need. And every time you, you know, if you have retargeting pixels and, and scripts installed on pages that it doesn't really need to be on, you're just slowing the experience down, which is, uh -huh. in, at the end of the day. The user is less happy, and Google is aware of that by by monitoring their behavior. If a if a site takes too long to load, people bounce back and go back to the search results, and that's a negative uh, negative ranking signal, basically. Yeah, and Google, if you have an SEO company or anybody you're engaged with, or a marketer, they're in Google Analytics or in Google Console. Those tools are communicating to them and telling them those issues. So it's not like, oh, is that happening or not? Well, no, you know if it's happening, mm -hmm. it will tell you. If your site is coded properly and they're installed correctly and everything's working correctly, it will tell you exactly what has happened that has led you to this problem. Um, and it gives you uh, tools as well and hints on how to correct it. But, you know, it's not like do this and it's all good. You know, it takes an expert to look at it and go, it's not a decision between good and bad. It's good, better, and best. And an expert knows the best solution an amateur will know, eh, it's okay. 
It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, what's right. interesting about the whole discussion of retargeting? Anyways, so yeah, uh, but that's uh, that's pretty much. I think uh, gonna get as best we can. Unless Jonathan, you got anything else you want to bring up on retargeting with ads and all that? Well, I think the the topic of, of retargeting, you can get very strategic with it. I think that's that's one of the big benefits. Um, you know, for example, you can you can build an audience uh, of people who have converted through your website if you're if you're an e-commerce company and or or you know if they've just filled out a form, you can track that as a conversion and show them a specific retargeting ad to either upsell or cross sell or put something in front of them. That's going to, you know, get them more interested in your brand. Um, that's, you know, exceptional for e-commerce because you can just keep kind of bringing those people back. You can upsell them to a, a complimentary product. You can sell them a, you know, a product that goes along with, with the product they already bought. Um, on the B2B side, you know, uh, I think in the, in the past we did something with a company where, they targeted life sciences manufacturers. And so we, we built out a campaign that was specific to the page that they had on their website. They had a, just a normal services page, you know, dedicated to speaking to life sciences people. So anyone who visited that page, we were able to tag them, build an audience for retargeting just, just of that crowd and show them display ads that drove them to a, you know, a landing page with a case study specific to life sciences. And so, you know, it's more than, than just showing some general brand awareness ad after they've left your website. It's, it's getting very strategic based on what products they looked at, uh, what services they looked at, how they engage with you, whether they're an existing customer or a a prospective customer. Uh, there's a lot that you can do with it. And, uh, you know, on the e-commerce side, you can get very dynamic with it. You can, you know, Google has dynamic remarketing ads, which are similar to, to retargeting and, and concept, but the, the engine will track what that user, what, what specific products that user looked at on your website, and it will show them that product as they navigate around the internet. And I think that everybody, you know, has been on the receiving end of that good or bad. Um, but the value, you know, is that they're, these, these types of ads are exceptionally uh, effective. They have much higher click-through rates. They have much higher conversion rates than just your standard banner ad or display ad. Um, so they're they're. If you look at your website analytics, you'll probably see, you know, 50, 50 to seventy percent of people bounce off. You know, it's not uncommon even even in e-commerce and uh, just across the web. And so to be able to bring these people back to be able to control their experience, that's going to be huge in, in making making sales uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. I think, you know, the intent, it's all about intent. Google knows what your intentions are after tracking you for a little bit. So having a strategy that is touching and organic and paid with, you know, with the retargeting, it, it, it all works together to kind of drive revenue up for you uh, mm-hmm. because Google tracks two revenue streams. It tracks organic and it tracks paid. I mean, we run analytics on sites and we see, how much money is coming in from both. And those are two different channels within, you know, Google. And we can say like, you're making running ads, you're making X thousand dollars a month. And then you're making another few thousand here from organic. So it's not to neglect and say one is more important than the other. They have to work together. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, you're making $8,000 in organic and you're making $20,000 in paid, that's really nice a month. Right. Right. Uh, 
I think the, you know, kind of bringing it back to philosophy and marketing in the, you know, the modern age, Mitch touched on it a little bit. And I know Jason, you and I have, as a group, we've all talked about this whole things aren't really a funnel anymore. Most businesses online are not following this, this cascade, so to speak of very simple steps, like top to bottom. It's not, it's not like that anymore. It's more of, you know, how HubSpot describes it and how we describe it. It's a flywheel. So somebody might interact with a random blog post on your website that is informational or educational about your product, but they're not ready to buy yet. Um, it might be two weeks before they're, they're ready to make a purchase because they go out and they read a bunch of other things and look at other products. Uh, by retargeting, you know, you're, you're able to, to reach that customer again, very strategically again. Um, and you know, with, with the way that traffic pulls into your website, you know, you've got social media, you've got organic search, you've got paid media, you've got email marketing, you've got referral sources from other websites. You've got to have a way to connect all of that. And, and one of the primary ways to do that is very strategic retargeting campaigns to, to bring all of those people into a single, you know, single type of experience that's relevant to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, as Mitch says, it's a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to have all the things working in order to be, uh, to do well. Um, and I think that that's kind of gets left on the SEO and paid or usually whatever channel it is. Um, those don't sell those advertise. There's a difference. And so selling is something that, you know, it's still done person to person. Um, I hear a lot of times people think if I get my SEO better, I'll sell more stuff. SEO doesn't sell. It, 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 if you start buying into that, then you've already you've made a mistake. It's just, you know, it nurtures. And that's what retargeting does. It, it nurtures that person that showed up and keeps you in front of them. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to keep branding keeps people aware that you're still around. Advertisement keeps people aware you're still around. Marketing makes people interested in what you're there for. Mm -hmm. uh, so Yeah, we've all heard the, the old phrase. We all learned it in marketing classes or, or just in the industry. You know, nobody, hardly anybody buys on their first visit to a website or on their first experience with any brand. Uh, you know, there, there are little stats that it takes five times, seven times, seven touch points before somebody actually buys. Um, so, again, the, the value of retargeting from a digital perspective, especially for, you know, say an e-commerce brand. I mean, it, it, it can't be stated strongly enough that if you're not if you're not nailing your retargeting, you're, you're cutting off a huge amount of revenue. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is very important to kind of understand how to uh, leverage all these things because they are they are just so important. So, uh, but that is that part of our pro our pod our podcast. That's that that part of our <laughs> podcast. Yeah. See how things just fall apart after like you know forty minutes or so into the everybody thing. needs lunch. Uh, everybody needs lunch. Yeah. Um, so. Let's get on the fun stuff. Let's get on the nerd stuff. <laughs> Director's cuts. I mean, I uh, so the last podcast or so we talked about the Zack Snyder director cut coming out. Fans won. It's going to be on HBO Max. And then immediately after that, we saw some news about, um, oh, well, what about David Ayer's, um, you know, Suicide Squad? I think we said enough in the first version of it. I don't really need a director cut, but you know, apparently a lot of fans want to see a director cut. Typically if you buy these things, you get the director cut on the DVD. I bought DVDs for both. I didn't get a director cut on either one. It's very disappointing. 
Now it seems like director cuts are going to be moving into the theater or at least onto some online service that I'm going to have to pay well, for. Why? Well, I, I why? Mean, if you, and is if, this you, new? if you go back to when, <laughs> when DVDs were all the rage, um, people wanted extra content on those DVDs to give them more value. And so what they would do, they had commentary tracks, which included usually generally a director and or several of the, the actors or maybe a cinematographer um, talking about the movie while you're watching it, which, you know, being kind of a movie nerd, I, I, I kind of enjoy that sort of thing. And that is that you'd have a comment, you'd have an extra commentary track along with your regular audio track that gave you the, the director's uh, kind of impressions as the movie goes along, or maybe some of the actors or even the writers or the cinematographer, it's kind of an added value thing. So to me, the, the whole director's cut thing kind of falls into that same sort of vein. It's also the idea that, well, the movie wasn't as good as it would have been if the director had actually been able to release his version of the edit of the film. You know, maybe so, maybe, you know, uh, I think in Zack Snyder's case, for example, instead of getting, you know, three hours of, of, of uh, heavy use of filters and bad, you'll get like four or five hours of that. So, you know, pick your poison. Yeah, I, you know, I, I do, I am curious about Zack Snyder's version just because it's so radically different that I've heard from what we got. Um, my thing is, is like we get one version in theaters and the anticipation is built up for that. And then we're told later, no, there's another one. And it's like, but I just spent my money to go in the theater and watch that one. What did I miss? You know, it's like, it's not that like, it's not like a di like, okay, these couple of scenes were cut out. This is like so a different say. movie in this circumstance. And, yeah. And so that kind of like, as a consumer, well, it's like, I feel a little well, cheated. Point, I paid, you know, I paid <laughs> and, 20 bucks to go see this movie the first time, but now you want me to pay 20 bucks again to see it again on the hope that it's better? I mean, that kind of goes back to like when we, when we talk a lot about, you know, brand equity value, whatever. I mean, there's trust that Marvel puts out a movie like I'm, I'm not really interested in going to see Black Widow, but you know, I think nothing to do that week. I probably will, um, just to kind of get away. Because I mean, that's what movies are for. That's why I love them. They're great escapes. But um, you know, Marvel's earned my trust with my dollar. Um, DC, I'm kind of like, okay, great. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I never saw Birds of Prey, and I have no interest in it. It's not my stance on you know anything political. That'd be just stupid to judge for that. I, I just think that's ridiculous. But you know, I, I just kind of look at it and go, yeah, I like Margot Robbie is, you know, but but I'm not, I, I don't know. I liked her in, in Suicide Squad. It doesn't mean that I want to see more of that in another format or way. I just, was, you know, I, I kind of just very, feel like It was that. very confusing marketing. It's because, cheating. Because it, it wasn't so much yeah. a Birds of Prey movie as it was kind of a um, Harley Quinn movie. Yeah, and I don't understand, like, DC's strategy oh, with the movies right now. You know, I mean, I I really thought they were just going to tell stories and it was going to be great. In other words, stop trying to make a unifying universe because Marvel's done that for like 10, 11 years. You're not going to be able to do it. Not, not in like six months or in a, a year. Um, so, you know, go ahead and do an Aquaman. Do a, do a Flash, which it keeps falling flat. Um, you know, we got a Wonder Woman sequel coming up. Um... But when you tell me that, like, 
there better not be a director cut of the Wonder Woman movie and then spun in marketing that well, oh, that's, it's better than the original. You, no, and you, Trust you us. Hit on, the, on, each, on, the, on the most salient point of all of this, it would be a completely different story if the first release was successful and then you do a bonus release that is a director's cut. If it was really good the first time and you thought the director did a really good job the first time, you might be more inclined to see it a second time. So, mm-hmm. well, look at Deadpool. Let's bring up that. I mean, um, I know Jonathan, you're just kind of like, what? oh, hang on, just, but I, <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> so, I, I I go back to Deadpool, and I talk about Deadpool a lot on this podcast because honestly, when you look at the first movie and how it was marketed and the brand itself, how it was pushed through, it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, because it was this attitude of we don't care, we don't know if it's successful, but it is at its core absolutely 100% um, a, was driven by the fans that said, I want this. And they got it. And they got a fantastic film. Now, later came out, not a director's cut, but a PG-13 version. And they re-released it in theaters. And people went to see that, too. So, um, and I don't know if it was with the first Deadpool or the second one they did that with, but um, it kind of shows you that 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 might be a way of doing it, that, that I could see it being okay, because if you have kids and you want your kids to see the character and enjoy the film and enjoy the, the genre, cool. But having a director's cut that's completely tonally different, I don't know. I don't well, know pretty, if I just feel that that's simple. a strategic if, move if for like marketing. The time, there's a higher likelihood they're going to go back for a second helping. If they didn't like it the first time, chances are they're not going to go back for a second. Go back for seconds. They're going to push away and say, "No, I didn't like it the first time. I'm going to move on to something else." Yeah, it was like a Black Mirror thing. On a, which I don't mean to keep bringing a Black Mirror. It just kind of stuck when you said that. I was like, I've never done this, so I can't really judge. Like, I don't even know if Dungeons and Dragons works this way, where you kind of pick the path you're going to, your character's going to go down, and whatever decision you make ends up changing the story black mirror i know did that on netflix where you kind of like pick the thing and then you know the different outcomes um i think that's kind of clever but you know how do you do that with a movie <laughs> and to the point of like the topic we're talking about i mean that's not even nearly remote to what's happening here that's just just seeing a director's you know vision of well, the, the movie that's different from is, what we got i don't know um fans but it, I can't see this, there being enough curiosity about it for a broad audience to buy into it. That's, that's I think, is the problem. Um, Do you don't think it'll it be a trend? We'll Again, see. I think if, if the first try is successful, sure, why not? Um, you know, it's an, it's an added value. If the first version wasn't received well, what in the world makes you think that a second is? It's just people, that's, just, it, that's counter the way most people behave. Yeah. Oh, you didn't like eating your veggies? <laughs> well, here's some cheese. Now you. Oh, you don't like that broccoli? Here's some. Don't cauliflower. like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like broccoli, except it has the texture of mold. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> cauliflower is nasty. It's, I it's like cauliflower. Can, I also like butter and salt. I think we all now know who's the weird one on the podcast. It's Jonathan. Sorry, I'm an adult and I eat my vegetables. 
You know who else doesn't like broccoli and cauliflower? My 18-month-old. <laughs> I got no problem with broccoli. I actually like broccoli with cheese. Anything. I don't know how that directs to director cut marketing and HBO Listen, and then all this stuff, but that's any, okay. Anything can be fixed with butter and salt. <laughs> so, upcoming on HBO Max, it's the Zack Snyder cut with, with butter, butter and salt. salt. <laughs> well, everything did kind of have a kind of a yellowy, orange. We've really been full circle. So that makes as much sense as anything else. Yeah, was it <laughs> color in and how the movie, the color tone of it is obviously very different. I think it'll hide a lot of the sins that the CGI revealed in the Joss Whedon cut. Not the mustache. That'll never get on. That'll never go away. Um, I'm I'm referring to like what was actually done for um oh gosh see that's how unmemorable the movie has been in some people's minds even oh, a fan oh, like oh. me of uh, steppenwolf you know i mean uh it's bad enough the dialogue was garbage um but it's the the idea that you see this villain that's supposed to be built up and revealed and it looks like a ps4 character um from the 90s i mean i just don't understand i no. i would have rather they had just gotten a really good action character actor, you know, put Dwayne Johnson in it. I don't care at this point because I mean, you know, at least it's not CGI and you can look at it and go, Oh, okay. But you know, that and somehow the, the boxes or the mother boxes were handled. Well, they, they just, they, um, was not really they, great. It, it's just a classic uh, case of throwing too much himself. into one movie for people to digest and to, and to, have an emotional attachment to. I mean, by the end of the movie, you have no idea what's going on. Where are we? Why are we here? Who are these people? You know, and- right. Yeah. The whole the whole thing is like we got to get the boxes, and we got to keep the boxes, and we got to keep him from the box. And I'm just like, every single. I would really like to see a superhero movie done where it's not about chasing a box. It's not about. Um, some blue energy explosion thing. Uh, I would just like to see a story. I would like to see what we saw with Captain America Winter Soldier. I would like to see an espionage film with superheroes. I would like to see like what we saw on Ant-Man. I would like to see a heist movie with superheroes. Um, and I think that's why, you know, I hate to bring out the big gun, well, but by, by, by the that's, time that's Endgame, why Endgame did so well. Around, the audience was so bought in you know? emotionally and had such an emotional attachment to these characters and who they were, it mattered to them. And, and that yeah, plan you got what you wanted, even though you didn't know you wanted it. It took patience, and it took finding the right mix of talent, whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera, to make that happen. I have seen nothing from Warner Brothers that tells me that they have that kind of patience or that kind of strategic thinking from a marketing standpoint to actually make it happen. They're just too impatient. They're too impatient. You've still got this segment yeah. of, of fans out there that are – yeah, are, yeah it, that are invested, but it's purely because of their love for the characters. It's got nothing to do with the actual quality of what ends up being put on the screen. Yeah, yeah. If anything that we could use and that that we use and talk about in this podcast is how to do it and how not to do it. And uh, we can thank uh, DC for showing well, everybody how not to do it, even though they're not actually the pinnacle of that. We can actually go look at Universal and the whole Dark Universe thing and not, you know, go, yeah, that's definitely not how to do it with the Mummy movie. And talent, but uh, <laughs> and patience is a huge part of that. You've got mm-hmm. to be willing to put in the time and the effort in doing your homework 
and thinking things through before you throw it out for public consumption. That works in film and it definitely works in marketing. Yeah, which ties into our discussion here about SEO. It's a long burn and you have to be patient. You have to do it right. You know, and it's not something that you're going to get, uh, you know, three months from now, a return on and see if you're really lucky, you may. And just kind of depends on how competitive the market you're in. But at the end of the day, it's this is this is something you've got to be on for quite a while. I mean, to really get the advantage out of it and see it. Yeah, I mean, you got to get started. Anybody don't, don't put it. Yeah, off you got But you got to. Right. You got to start. I mean, a lot of people, I think the one thing a lot of business owners we hope have learned from the pandemic was that you got caught with your pants down and not ready for, you know, to be online and be up digitally to meet the demand of your customers that are no longer available down to you to physically come to your establishment. Um, And the segue out of that, one last thing in our podcast to talk about is we are still offering a digital reboot to those that are still not caught up or still not prepared. Uh, we are mindful and aware of cost and everything, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. I mean, it's either you pay for it now or you really suffer later. Um, so we hope that um, we're able to help some folks with our digital reboot campaign. So if you go to nerdbrandagency.com slash reboot, you can check it out. Uh, it's offering uh, assistance with social media, with posting strategy. It's offering you a website that can get these things fixed and getting your Google business page finally fixed and getting your toes a little wet in the SEO arena. So we're hoping that, you know, just, just making those changes, we are absolutely 100% confident that as people Google you, as you look for you on the search engine, you will look and see a different appearance of the search result page while your name is on it. And that's what we want to do with that reboot package. So thank you. Anyways, I want to thank everybody for coming on. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you can go to nerdbrandagency.com slash podcast to listen to this latest episode. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, we are working on adding new videos and how-tos on WordPress and things like that, so you can visit us and find us on YouTube. And uh, that's all the channels. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and remember to keep your nerd brand strong.